Good morning. My name is John Cooner, and I'm one of you. That's my claim to fame, and glad to be there. Um, if you have your Bible or you're using your bulletin, uh, I'd ask you to turn to John chapter 15. Uh, I really believe that this series in the plans and purposes that God has for us as Redstone could be one of the most significant things that he wants us to hear. And I hope you've been hearing and listening. I think Spencer's done a wonderful job of opening up this passage of Scripture. And if you've missed some of it, or this is your first time here with us today, I really want to encourage you to go to the website. You can listen to the messages there. And uh, I've done that many times to the messages in this series. And the homework that was given to us to do alongside that and the processing in the community groups has been a very key part of us really getting to grips with what Jesus is saying to his church, to us, his people here. And today it's my privilege to kind of bring this, uh, wrap it up, uh, and uh, the two verses that I will be sharing from are Verses 16 and 17. In verse 17, Jesus says, These things, literally all these things I've told you so that you love one another. And in verse 16, he'd said, I've chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will abide. So in a sense, he's kind of set us up <laughs> to do this. All these things. So we need to, uh, as he's reminding us that it's all these things that he's told us, to just go back for a moment. And, and uh, so basically what I'm going to do this morning, I felt the Lord wanted me to do, is just uh, build on the foundation that Spencer has given us from the Word. So verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So this is about Jesus. Oh, I love that song. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. There's another old song that used to say, and we will declare it, we will declare it. This is about Jesus and his church and his people. It's about Jesus, it's about God the Father who is the vine dresser, the verse tells us, and about us. It's about how we connected, how we how we to live together as believers. I said we. We is not just me and Jesus. You know, we 
close like a brother. I abide with Jesus. You see, that's a beginning place. We is those who have been chosen and appointed and it includes one another. So it's about you and me, how we're connected, not just how we connect with Jesus. And so verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. That's it. It's as simple as that. Abide in me and I in you. You don't have to qualify. There's nothing you have to do. He said, I have chosen you and appointed you that you will bear fruit that abides. And in verse 3, he says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And Paul puts us in the same place as he's talking about here in Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 17, where he's talking about the church, the believers, those uh, us. He says, we've been grafted in. Now, he uses the picture of an olive tree there, but, but the, the, the truth is the same. We've been grafted in. So we are a branch. God's people are a branch that has been chosen and appointed to bear fruit that abides so that we would love one another. Abide in me and I in you. And as I read that and was just reflecting on that, I, I heard echoes from John chapter 17. That beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father. Just a couple of chapters on in your book. And in that prayer in verse 8, John 17 verse 8, he says, for I have given them the word. Jesus is, is, is talking to his father now. And he says, I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus is saying about the word, I got it from you and I've given it to them, and they believed it, they received it. That's how Paul explains that you become a Christian or a believer in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. He says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is as simple as as that. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Abide in me, and I in you. So begin to think words. Words are important here. Jesus said, you gave me the words, I gave them to them, they received them. So what does it mean to abide? Spencer did a wonderful job of fleshing that out 
almost every one of the messages in the series, he spoke about abiding. And, and, and if you were listening, you heard that this is, this is just a very rich idea of abiding with him. So I don't want to reiterate all of that, all of that but let me just add a couple of things that uh, I felt God wanted us to know this morning in verse 6. Jesus said, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Which tells me that abiding is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. You don't just come and abide on Sunday or in the home group or whenever you want. It's all or nothing. And it's Jesus or nothing. There's no other name, the scripture says, by which we shall be saved. Paul said, there are no other gods. There's no other gospel. If anyone brings to you another gospel, reject it. You cannot love God and mammon. The scripture goes on reminding us, abiding is all or nothing. And for those who choose not to abide... Uh, the outlook is grim. But the invitation to everyone is that you would hear the word and receive it and accept the free gift of salvation in Christ. But abiding is all or nothing. Secondly, it's foundational. It's the solid rock on which we do build. Uh, chapter uh, 15 on verse 5, he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. So whatever else you may have built up for yourself, in terms of God's purposes and plans for your life and our life together for his church, they don't amount to a hill of beans. I don't know why we use that expression. I really love beans. <laughs> but you know what I mean. So we build on the abiding. I often sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We build on abiding in him. Abiding also will challenge you. It's not easy. I don't want to pretend that it's easy. Jesus doesn't pretend that it's easy. In John chapter 6, he was talking to his disciples and others about what it meant to follow him. And he made this amazing statement. He said in John chapter 6, verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me. And I in him. We're talking the same story here. Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me and I in him. And then verse 60 goes on to say, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can stand it? So all or nothing is not just something we simply pick up and go with. It becomes a part and a pattern 
of our lifestyle. Thinking about this, this the, the picture that came to my mind was one that I remember from way back before most of you were born, when I was at high school in the science lab. The guy had this big beaker of water and he took a, a crystal of potassium permanganate and he dropped it into the water. And uh, by the end of the lecture, the whole water was purple. That's what abiding does. It intermingles and interweaves and, and uh, just blends us together to be one with him. And it's not easy because of the nature of our flesh. It's a challenge. But <laughs> it's win-win all the way. Abiding is win-win. You cannot lose. Why do I say that? Because verse 5 says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So abiding will result in fruit in your life. In chapter 4, I beg your pardon, verse 4, the second part of that verse, he says fruit does, doesn't happen in any other way. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will produce fruit. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. There isn't another way that this kind of fruit that Jesus is telling us about is going to happen in your life. Fruit is a consequence of abiding as well as being the reason for abiding. And when we abide, verse 8 tells us, fruit comes naturally. If you get abiding, if we can get abiding, it's just going to come naturally. And verse 8 says, by this is my Father glorified. This is the evidence that you're abiding the fruit. Like Jesus said, this is how the world will know. You're my disciples. The way that you love one another. Well, Jesus said in verse 17, I'm telling you all this stuff that you love one another. So the fruit is what the world is, is encouraged to look at in our lives to be sure that we're really living what we claim to be living as believers, followers of Jesus Christ. Actually, I believe that this is the same evidence that God uses, the fruit in your life. And that's why verse 7 and verse 16 tells us that when we abide in him, our prayers are going to be answered. How's your prayer life going? Working for you? If it's not, maybe you're not really, you haven't got abiding yet. That's another whole message, won't go there. But I'll come back 
to the idea of God looking for fruit in our lives. That's very important. Verse 8 also says, as I just mentioned, that it's the fruit that brings glory to God. And so I thought of Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. What, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How are you going to do that? Bear fruit. How do you get fruit? By abiding. <laughs> so my Appalachian, this is John's Appalachian translation of that passage. It says, just be fruity everywhere. And at all times. Now why is fruit such a big deal? It is evidence of our abiding, yes. The scripture tells us that. But maybe it's deeper than that. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. This was right in the beginning. This is when God established the whole pattern and the, well, pattern I'll stay with for how the world would be formed and how it would operate. And he says in verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which was their seed, everything according to its kind or each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and morning in the same day. So he didn't just make trees and vegetation. He made trees and vegetation that would bear fruit and that in the fruit there would be seeds. Fruit has seeds. Now some of you live in a world where if you go to Walmart, they want to sell you seedless grapes, or seedless watermelons, or seedless oranges. Hmm. Think about that. So I brought a fruit for you. For those of you who are brought up on a diet of seedless, just to show you that fruit has seed in it. You know what fruit this is? A pomegranate. Hey guys, girls just tune out for a moment. This is a word for the guys. If you want to sweet talk your special lady, there's a verse about pomegranates. It'll, it's a killer. You just tell her this. It's in the Song of Solomon. It's written by the wisest man that ever was. You just say, honey, your lips are, a scarlet, are like a scarlet thread. And your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate. <laughs> and then run for it. 
Actually, pomegranates appear many times in the scriptures. They were around the, the hem of the high priest's garment. There was a pomegranate and a bell, and a pomegranate and a bell. But my point is just simply that I wanted to remind you and reinforce the fact of that scripture that God said when he made fruit, it had fruit in it. Now, I wish I had time to really explain a few statements that I'm going to make about seed now. Uh, I don't want to go down that road, but I want you to listen carefully about seed. The seed has in it the nature of its source, which is another way of saying that if I took one of these pomegranate seeds and planted it, what would grow? A pomegranate. I wouldn't get a watermelon or an apple. I would only get pomegranates. Because in this seed, in its DNA, if you like, is the nature of what it is. That's how God made it. That's why I said seed in the trees that will reproduce after its kind. The nature of the source is in the seed. Now listen carefully. In verse 5, Jesus said, Whoever imbibes in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So when we abide in Jesus and he abides in us what's the source it's Jesus the source of the seed in us is Jesus turn with me if you would for just to 1st Peter 1st Peter chapter 1 First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Jesus says, or Peter says, since you, who's he talking to? Us. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. When we abide in God, the source of the seed in our fruit is Jesus. So who you are is a harvest of the seeds that have been planted in your life. The fruit in your life uh, grows because of the seed that was planted in your life. In the parable of the sower, you remember the, the word was the seed. 
And so you need to be careful what kind of seed you allow to come into your life. And you need to be careful in terms of that parable to remember what kind of soil the seed comes into. Won't go down there, but the seed, the, or, or rather the fruit, is the proof of the seed. And the proof should be according to the source of the seed, who is Jesus. That makes sense for you? You with me? In fact, Jesus said, except a grain of wheat, or if I could put it in the same context, except a seed of wheat falls into the ground, it dies alone. Jesus sowed himself as a seed that we might live. Now, the fruit's not for you. <laughs> that pomegranate was not for the pomegranate tree. Who was it for? The one and others that you connected with. Fruit's not for you. I think that's why the tithe is a first fruit, just to remind you the fruit's not for you. And remember, verse 8 told us that the fruit... It's the fruit that glorifies the Father. It's not your abiding. It's the fruit that glorifies the Father. It's the fruit of the life of Jesus in you when you abide in him that displays, in fact, the passion of his heart because he's the source. Oh, Lord, Holy Spirit, help us to get this. That's why verse 17 says, so that the love you have, so that you love one another. Go back to Jesus' prayer in John 17, if you would. In fact, you have to really read John 17 alongside this. But in John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus says this. Praise this. Verse 23, I beg your pardon, verse 20 actually just tells us that it's, it's us he's talking about. Now he's not, he's not praying for his disciples. He says, I do not ask for these only, in other words, his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So that's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may even be one as we are, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That's the heart of Jesus, that we would love one another. So, we've got abiding now. And we've got fruit. Now we're ready to look at verse 7. 
You're doing okay. Thank you, Lord. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. In other words, verse 7 tells us that he abides in us by his word and by his spirit. John 14, 17. Just go back a page and you'll see John 14, 17. Jesus says this. Well, I need to start a little before that, just to make sure that you know I'm not taking things out of context. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is John 14, verse 15. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells, abides with you, and will be in you. So he abides in us by his word and by his spirit. In other words, it's the fruit of his life in us by his spirit that becomes reality when we abide in him. That's why Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the spirit. Talks about Love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In verse 11 of John 15 that we're looking at, he said, I want you to have my joy. That's more of the fruit of his life that he wants us to not only enjoy but be able to pass on to others. And there's a long list I could go on of, of other fruit. that his life in us will produce when we abide in him and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives through the word. Through the word. The word is the vehicle of his power. Scripture tells us that he upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. Wow. And I love the verse... The statement Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia. He says, I know you've got but little power. But you've kept my word. And have not denied my name. Now I know that this morning I'm breaking all the rules of modern preaching. Because all the that you read about how to preach to today's congregation is don't put a lot of scripture in. I don't want to hear a lot of scripture. Well, I don't want to give you seedless gospel. How on earth is he going to abide in you by his word if you're on a diet of his word. Scripture talks about a time in Israel when there was a famine in the word of God. I don't want, I don't think God wants us to go down that road. So I have made no apology for all these verses that I'm giving you and if you missed them, uh, I'll ask Pastor Daniel, uh, you can get a hold of him, we'll, we'll give you the verses. We'll make it available for you.
But he abides in us by his word and by his spirit. That's what verse 7 tells us. Now, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So he abides in us by his word. We abide in him by abiding in his love. Is that clear? I mean, that's as clear as the scripture can make it. In fact, verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. My Appalachian translation of that is, this is how it worked for me, Jesus said. It's going to work the same way for you. I abided in his love. That's how it's going to be for you. You abide in my love. And so verse 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let me just say a word about uh, a phrase that crops up here in verse 10 and verse 14 about keeping the commandment and doing the commandment. This is not like keeping the Ten Commandments uh, this is not like keeping a list that you check off. It's, it's much deeper than that. This word to keep is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 where the scripture tells us that God took the man, put him in the garden to care for it and to keep it or to tend it and to keep it. And the keeping there has the sense of keeping it because he understood the nature of the, the relationship, sorry, that he had with God and the purpose that God had put him there for. So it's not just keeping the rules. It's, it's keeping comes from, from understanding the nature of the source of this fruit or seed that's in us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, what does that look like? As I have loved you. How has he loved us? Before I tell you that, I need to say this. A self-evident truth. Americans like self-evident truths. We got it in the Constitution. As I have loved you means that Jesus will never ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done. He will never ask you to love somebody in a way that he has not loved. That makes sense? Okay, now if you've got that, What's it look like that we're to love one another as I've loved you? How did he love us? Well, we could spend a week here. While we were still sinners, he loved us. He forgives us. He restores us. He rescues us. He comforts us. He's generous to us. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We read this every time we have a wedding. Uh, but it's talking about... In reality, how we should love because this is how he loved us. So it says, he's patient in how he loved us. He's kind. 
He's not arrogant or rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. He's not irritable. Praise God, he's not irritable. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. He rejoices with the truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Do you get that? That's how he loves us. He hopes all things for us. He bears all things for us. And he's saying, I'm telling you these things so that you will love one another exactly the way that I've loved you. Or put another way, if you've heard me, Jesus talking, if you're living this way, if you're abiding in my love, allowing my word to abide in you, then you will be loving one another. This will be the fruit that will be there for all to see. You know, John understood this. That's why John refers to him as the apostle whom Jesus loved. You notice that phrase in John's gospel? It wasn't an arrogant statement. It was because he got how much God loved him. Jesus loved him. And I think that's why his gospel is so different. And God gave him all kinds of other things. And so it's not surprising that he reflects on this in 1 John chapter 4. And there's a long passage here, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to pick out. Uh, I'd encourage you to read 1 John chapter 4 from verse 7 to 21. But I, I want to just bring out verse 20. I need to read 19. We love because he first loved us. We can only love one another because he first loved us. You get that? And then he says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, He's a liar. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus says by his spirit. If anyone hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. So I think in the final analysis, it's not your abiding. It's not your fruit. It's your love one another that God looks at. The abiding and the fruit's how we get there, but the fruit is the evidence of your abiding. That's why your homework this week encourages you to take an opportunity, time to just reflect 
on the fruit that's in your life or that's missing from your life. And if there's fruit that, and I gave you some here, that are missing from your life, uh, ask God to begin to let that seed germinate, the seed of his life in you by his spirit begin to germinate so that your life would produce fruit like that. You say, well, how, how do you do that practically? Well, if you're an impatient sort of a person, just think of, uh, be aware that every, every time you express or react in impatience, that's a time for you to ask God to change it. Maybe generosity is not your strong point. Well, just be generous. God loves a cheerful giver. So open your wallet and just go out and just give somebody. Be generous because that's the fruit of his nature in you. No reason other than Jesus loves you. Remember, we can do nothing. Abiding in his love and in his word, that's his fruit, his love. But you know, verse 17 tells us there is something that Jesus cannot do in the body and that he will not do. He cannot love one another. That is your privilege and my privilege and my joy. He's not going to do it for you. He said, I've told you this. You go do it. I've chosen you. I've appointed you so that this fruit will abide in you so that you will love one another. Church, Jesus went to the cross so that we would be able to love one another. That's what he said in his prayer in John 17 verse 19. He says, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. He has chosen you and appointed you, given his very life for you. Verse 13 told us that in John 15. Greater love is no man than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. That's how he loved you. That's how he loves me, so that we can love one another. Come on, church. Come on, church. What are we going to do about it? I say, let's just do it. Let's do it. I want to pray for you. Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, I, I believe that your word never returns empty-handed. That it accomplishes all that your purpose 
And so my prayer for us this morning is that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May we be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints together in the light. Amen.